This episode of New Politics was released on the 24th of November, 2021, and produced on the land of the Wangal people. Welcome to the New Politics Podcast. In this episode, the Prime Minister starts road testing his election slogans, and we listen to the voices for Kuyong. Is Josh Frydenberg in for a surprise? I'm Eddie Djokovic, editor of New Politics. I'm David Lewis, national disgrace. We do love getting feedback from our audience, and we do try to keep everybody happy, but we did receive some correspondence during the week, and that was... What a pathetic piece of bullshit party puff journalistic error and garbage. As an Australian, I'm ashamed of you. Disgusting. And that was actually the better part of the correspondence. Now, David, I didn't think that we were doing too badly. We are frequently in the top 10 of Australian political podcasts. We've got listeners all around the world, the United States, China, Norway, Ireland, Germany. And we are actually in the top 1% of all podcasts in the entire world. So these are actually pretty good figures, but I guess it just goes to show that everybody's got a different opinion in politics and you cannot keep everybody happy all of the time. If we all agreed, we probably wouldn't need podcasts. We wouldn't need elections. We wouldn't need this type of discussion. So I'm actually quite pleased to get even negative feedback such as that because it means people are listening and they're reacting and it's making them think even if it's just entrenching their own opinion. I'd like to know what errors we make. I've never made a mistake. Actually, I thought I did once, but turned out I was wrong. If we do make errors, please let us know and we will correct them or make sure we don't make it again. And I've been meaning to say this for quite a while. I'd like to say a big welcome to our overseas listeners. Countries where we wouldn't have thought we'd have made an impression. I don't know if it's expats living there or if it's people genuinely interested in Australian politics, but it's really interesting to see that, you know, we're 148 rank in Germany. So, guten tag to everyone there. Well, we also do have a number of listeners in Croatia, so dobrovecha moja prijati. And from me too. The final sitting weeks for Parliament for the year have commenced and it's definitely the final fortnight for 2021, but it could also be the final sitting weeks before the next election. And the Prime Minister is sending out a flurry of slogans, almost as though he's test driving all of the different words that he can use for the election. And here's the latest one. (laughs) Australians are looking forward because we've kept looking forward. Australians can look forward to move forward, to look forward, to step forward. And of course, Scott Morrison does want the Australian electorate to move forward because that means forgetting all about his holiday trip to Hawaii during the 2019 Australian bushfires. It means forgetting all about his failure to secure enough vaccines to prevent outbreaks and lockdowns. It means forgetting all about the rorts, mismanagement and waste. It means forgetting all about the trillion dollars of government debt with nothing to show for it. The government does want everyone to forget about all of their failures in the past, but it's not going to be so easy this time around. I will be fair. Of course, he wants everybody to forget about the errors in the past. There's been a lot of them. And it 
makes his job of getting re-elected a lot harder when these things keep being brought up. I have an understanding of why he does this. Of course, the better way is to own up to them and either try and fix them or, or hand the job over to somebody who can. I suspect that there's so much that he can't fix them because he's never been able to fix his errors in the past, as far as we can tell. He's got the moderates splitting away from him, and he's got the far right splitting away from him. He can probably live without the moderates, but uh, a lot of his support is far right. Although I notice the discourse in the far right now is that he's just as crooked as everybody else and can't be trusted, and they want somebody uh, more aligned. Uh, and Peter Dutton is the name that keeps coming up. Of course, and I've said this before, with the extremes of Australian politics, don't tend to get elected or don't tend to stay elected. So it, he's in a very difficult position that I don't think a competent prime minister would be able to get through easily, let alone one who hasn't shown a lot of interest in this type of subtle people management. So it's obvious that we're in the pre-election stage, but it's almost like the past three years have been the pre-election stage of the pre-election stage to the election stage. So this just seems to be a never-ending process. But if the government spend as much time on governing as they spend on marketing, spin doctoring, spreading lies, mistruths and misinformation, Australia would be in a much, much better place. And I think it would actually be easier if they did the work that's normally required of them in government rather than all the spin and misinformation. And, and of course, we'll find out on election day if this actually makes any difference or not. But to me, it seems like Scott Morrison is actually doing a real-life mass media focus group test where each week he's trying out a different formula. So last week it was Australians taking back their lives. Then it was Australians who've had a gutful of being told what to do. He also tried out that cost of living slogan. And now it's this process of moving forward. It's quite a useless and meaningless slogan. It's the same one that was used by Julia Gillard in the 2010 election campaign. So it was meaningless in 2010. It's just as meaningless today. What does moving forward actually mean? Where are you moving forward to? What's the destination? What's going to happen when you get there? So it's just another inane and meaningless election slogan. And of course, this could all work. But for me, it's like a gambler at the last chance saloon. You keep trying different things, hoping that something will work. It looks desperate and reveals that there's no real plan, there's no real strategy here. And if Morrison thinks that just setting up a series of slogans will win him another election, well, he may as well give up right now. It's just not going to work. Moving forward is a very opposition type of slogan. It's something that you would you'd use as an opposition leader. Moving forward, look at look at the terrible stuff that's happened over the last three years. If you vote for us, we will be moving forward from it. For a government that's been in essentially since 2013, you'd have thought we'd have moved forward by now and that we would be keeping moving forward. A lot of members are, are running, particularly National Party, but also some Liberal members are running as if they are opposition candidates. And that's partly uh, trying to make themselves the underdogs and... If the polling is correct, they are underdogs. It also suggests to me that there's no real achievement that might be electorally positive for them to campaign on. Most governments will campaign on, well, we bought this in and we bought that in. They've really bought in very little. There were the massive tax cuts to high earners, one of the most regressive tax systems that we've ever had. 
GST equivalent stuff. And if the details of that, and we will talk about it at some point, got out into the, the mainstream, they'd lose because lower earners are paying more than massively high earners. And I don't mean a higher percentage rate. I mean, they're paying more money. Everything else has been botched, the vaccine rollout. He missed getting it on the first go through and couldn't really explain why, except he didn't make the phone calls. This really led to New South Wales being shut down for three months in a devastating lockdown that could have been avoided for that length of time anyway. There's also a few other issues that did arise in Parliament this week as well. So five coalition MPs crossed the floor to support One Nation's anti-mandatory vaccination bill in the Senate. And it's more than likely that this actually won't go anywhere because it's got to go back to the House of Representatives and there probably won't be enough time to debate it before the next election. But for me, this also shows that there's a complete lack of discipline within the coalition. One senator crossing the floor to side with a bill from another side of politics is never a good sign and I know that One Nation isn't that far removed from the coalition so one senator or MP crossing the floor that's bad enough but when you've got five it shows that there's disagreement within the party it shows that there's a lack of discipline and it just makes it more difficult for Scott Morrison to put forward a coherent message on vaccination policy. Member for Bannalong John Alexander has, has announced he's stepping down at the next election because he disagrees with what the government's doing. He caught a bit of stick for that, people saying, why didn't you do this the last election, blah, blah, blah. I think that that type of argument becomes irrelevant because you've got a job to do and it can take a while to come to a realisation, no, we're not going through this hard stuff to improve, it's just never going to improve. And maybe he should have noticed it three years ago or four years ago or 13 years ago. But the point is, is that it's another crack in the the facade of the unity of the the Liberal Party. Sure, five ratbag senators that they could probably lose from the party and they can all go off to join Clive Palmer or One Nation. That's okay because they're on the fringe and you can replace senators. If they change, they're still going to vote mostly in favour of the the Liberal Party anyway. They're not going to tip to an election because... If they're independents, they can't afford a Senate re-election. And it's only on two or three bits of policy that they disagree with. It's when the centre starts to crumble that you have to really worry. One backbencher resigning before the election and stating this is interesting. It's not a trend yet, but I'm wondering if how many others are thinking, you know, Alexander's right. We might have to rethink our futures here too, and we don't think we're going to win our seats. Alexander's on a fairly safe seat. It's the old John Howard seat, of course, that Howard lost, but Labor was only able to retain it for one term. And I do a bit of work up in Ride, and it seems to me that John Alexander was one of those members I continually talk about. They do the job of the electorate and represent the electorate well, from what I can see. So it's the type of member that you don't really want to lose. Should he have become a minister? Maybe, maybe not. That's a whole other argument. But certainly, if he is the only one, it's probably nothing. But if it is as it might seem that the party is starting to crumble, Scott Morrison 
could be in a lot of trouble at the next election. Well, it's always good news when the local member does the work that the local community wants them to do or expects them to do. But there was also an issue that arose in Parliament when the member for Gilmore, Fiona Phillips, she asked this question. When my electorate was burning, the Prime Minister's office told journalists he was not on holiday in Hawaii. Why did the Prime Minister's office say that when it wasn't true? I can only speak to what I have said, Mr Speaker, and as the Leader of the Opposition will know, because I texted him from the plane when I was going on that leave and told him where I was going, and he was fully aware of where I was travelling with my family. Members on my left. Mr Speaker, in question time today, the Prime Minister said that, to quote him, I texted him from the plane when I was going on that leave and told him where I was going. Mr Speaker, that is not true. On the 15th of December 2019 at 9.44pm, the Prime Minister did text me saying he was going on leave. He did not tell me where he was going. He said he was going with his family. I kept that text message confidential, as you do with private text messages between private phones. And on the Friday, on the Friday, he disclosed in an interview with 2GB uh, that uh, he had texted me, and that was uh, the first time that that became public. But at no stage did he tell me where he was going. As it turned out, Scott Morrison had not told Anthony Albanese where he was going and he misled Parliament and had to come back and correct the record. Now, I know that politics bores people to death on most occasions, but for me, the most interesting part is that psychological battle between the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition. Morrison's trip to Hawaii in 2019, during the bushfires crisis, that was probably the lowest point of his prime ministership by far. And Labor's strategy is to partially show up all of Morrison's character flaws. And the main one is that he lies, he covers up, and he can't be trusted. And the question to Morrison showed up a massive psychological weakness for Morrison. And that's that win-at-all-cost mentality. He just has to win every single battle, even the battles that are not worth winning. And in this case, Morrison wanted to win this tiny little battle about the trip to Hawaii from two years ago, all he needed to do was use the words to the effect that he was sorry, that he, he apologises, he realised that it was a mistake and he should have done better, that he's learned to never do this again. That would have been the end of the matter. But as far as I'm concerned, he fell for the trap that was set up by Labor. He told a lie to win the argument that wasn't even worth winning. And that turned out to be a total fabrication which could easily be checked and refuted. And, and in that process of trying to win every single little point, he just emphasised the issue that the Labor Party was making, that Scott Morrison is a pathological liar. He'll lie even when he doesn't need to. He can't be trusted. And this became a big news headline for him for that entire day. And we've said this before, the biggest threat to Scott Morrison is Scott Morrison himself. And he proved it yet again yesterday. I think uh, one of the strategies of Labor is why waste ammunition when your enemy is shooting themselves? And the small target Labor hasn't always worked, but it might in this case, because I think that there is a perception in the public that Scott Morrison has a different version of truth to what everybody else might see it as. One of the things that nobody seemed to really pick up, maybe they just wanted to leave it where people could interpret it, 
was that Albanese uh, said, I didn't release this text as I don't release private texts, which is, of course, the right thing to do. And I think that for those people who pick it up, that will remind people of the whole Macron incident where private texts were released. We've been very critical of what Labor's doing, but they may be playing a subtler, longer game than what we thought they were. It'll be interesting to see how this pans out. You're listening to New Politics. You can subscribe to us on Apple or Google Podcasts, listen through SoundCloud, Spotify and Amazon Audible, or find us at newpolitics.com.au, and you can now follow us at Patreon. Up next, we listen to the voices of Yong and find out if Josh Frydenberg is in for a surprise. Don't ask me to attend, cause I'm not all there, and don't pretend, cause I couldn't care. I don't believe illusions, cause too much is real, so stop your cheap the lead up to the next federal election it appears that independent candidates are going to have more of an influence and this is at a time when the electorate is getting more and more disenchanted with the two-party political system and and also with the political games that are being played out by the major political parties and it does seem that there are more political options that are appearing on the horizon and David this might sound like a Dorothy Dixon question from Parliament Question Time to you but are you aware of any developments that are happening in this area? And could having more independent members of parliament be more beneficial to the Australian community? As it happens, I have here an interview with Hayden O'Connor from the Voices of Kuyong, where we discuss the issues involved with running an independent candidate in one of the most interesting federal seats and in one of the safest liberal seats in Australia. Welcome, Hayden. Uh, thanks for having me, David. It's great to be here. Now we're here to discuss the, the seat of Kuyong, but also the movement of the voices of Kuyong. So could you please tell us what your aims are? Yeah, so our aim at the moment in you know, in respect to the election is to really uh, have a candidate or a representative actually to parliament that actually represents us. So we know in Kuyong at the moment that Kuyong voters want action on climate change and they're not getting that action. And that's essentially one of the main reasons why Voices of Kuyong exists. But aside from the election, our primary objective is is to really engage the community in political discussion, give residents of Kuyong a voice. And we do this primarily through kitchen table conversations, which is the process where anyone in the electorate can come and share their political views without being challenged, which is actually quite a powerful process because it's not often one can share their political views without facing disagreement from others or being asked to justify their position. So it's very unique in that way where you can come and say your piece, you know, regardless of your views and not be challenged. Uh, so really at our core, we're about grassroots democracy and engagement with the aim of improving our representation. You must have had some uh, very interesting views come your way. Can you share any of them? Really the through the kitchen table conversations, it's the majority of it has come out climate change action, um, you know, in the environment, respect for women, integrity and honesty, sick of corruption, those types of things. Those are the main themes. So I've participated and 
you know, in my kitchen table conversation and I've scrubbed a couple of others that were yet to go through the report for all the conversations and turn that into an interim report. We're yet to do that, um, so that'll happen soon. But, yes, yeah, so I wouldn't say there's really any many sort of views that are really out there. Um, yeah, so it's mainly those that we're getting and then, you know, there's other stuff like health, you know, improving the health system and um, things like that. Uh, asylum seekers and refugees, um, the way they're treated, we get a lot of that as well. Um, but primarily it's people want action on climate change and they want politics to be more honest and have more integrity. So do you have a, a preferred candidate? Not yet. We're hoping to announce, you know, something soon, but I can't really say much more than that. You don't want a candidate because we're in the the moving process. But obviously we're looking for a candidate who would treat the climate crisis with the urgency it needs. And we're looking for someone with a strong sense of integrity, obviously, who will implement a federal ICAC or anti-corruption commission, whatever you want to call it. And of course, we want a candidate as well who has respect for women. But in addition to that, all that, a candidate who actually listens to the electorate. Uh, that's what we're looking for. And hopefully we'll find that person. The impression I'm getting is that your current representative, uh, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, isn't listening to the electorate at the moment. Is, is that a fair assessment? In, in my view, that's the fair assessment. That's what we hear in our kitchen table conversations. That's what our survey has shown. But just on climate change, um, the Australian Conservation Fund did a survey of the whole country. And in Kuyong specifically, uh, it was 74% of Kuyong voters stated that they want the federal, they think the federal government needs to do more on climate change action. And our own surveys and kitchen tables back that up as well. But Josh Reinerberg just the other week, maybe it was two weeks ago now, voted against Zali Stegel's bill on climate change. So he's not listening to the electorate in that particular area and obviously not on a federal ICAC either because. Obviously, we don't have one yet. Do you have a strategy that will neutralise a lot of independence, uh, dissipating the vote and getting Josh Frydenberg back in on preferences? We've seen this happen in other seats where a not terribly popular local member has been faced by, instead of one or two good independents, 15 or 20 independents of varying quality and support bases. Do you have a strategy to, to stop that? So our strategy in that regard is to ensure that voters understand how the preferential voting works so they can vote correctly. But obviously, other than that, it's not for Voices of Kuyong to determine who runs. So we can endorse a candidate and we can't obviously stop 20 other independents from running, you know, however many people wish to run. Um, we can only, you know, endorse who we think the best independent candidate for Kuyong is. But if voters and if people want change in Kuyong and they put the community independent first and Josh Frydenberg last, then we'll see that change if voters do that. I think, yeah, one of the great strengths of the system is the preferential system and one of its great Absolutely. one of its great weaknesses is that people don't quite understand how it works properly. Yes. Um, and, that, and that's a challenge for any independent candidate. Speaking of independence, there are those who claim that the voices movement, voices of Kuyong, voices of Bradfield, voices of many seats yep. is really a liberal or a Labour Trojan horse, that a vote for the movement is really a vote for a major party. How fair is that? Oh, I don't think that's fair. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. In my view, the voice of the movement has taken off across the country, primarily, in my view, due to the absence of action on climate change from this government. Uh, but of course, 
each local community and every other electorate will have their own reasons for why they feel they're not represented by their current uh, federal member. Uh, the Voices of Movement is essentially at its core just voters who are fed up with their representative who doesn't actually represent what they want. And in response, they've decided to engage their community in political discussion through kitchen tables and other means to influence change. So this movement certainly isn't a Trojan horse for either the Liberal or the Labor Party. You know, in Kuyong, as I've mentioned, Josh has failed to act on climate change. Uh, he's failed to take a stand against this government's lack of respect for women. He's the deputy leader so he of the Liberal Party, so he should be doing more there. And he isn't supporting a federal ICAC either. Plenty of Josh's own actions, you know, I'd say he's lacked integrity. So we're quite confident in saying Josh doesn't really represent us. So it's not a Trojan horse for, you know, either party. It's about just getting a representative that actually represents the views of the electorate. I should also ask, are you a Trojan horse for the Greens, uh, given the importance of climate change? No, definitely not a Trojan horse for the for the Greens either. Obviously, we have strong climate policy, but the candidate's not going to run, run on just that. They'll have policies on um, the economy and for small business and on integrity, as I said, and other areas. Yeah, we're not we're not here to get a Greens elected or a Labor Party politician elected. We're here to build democracy and hopefully get an independent candidate elected who will actually take the views of the the electorate to Parliament and uh, get action on climate change and a federal ICAC. Just out of curiosity, are you in touch with the other voices uh, movements in other seats? Yeah, definitely. We have an open dialogue with not all of them, but, you know, some of them. Um, they're all very keen to help each other out. So for advice or guidance or, you know, just how have you handled electoral commission requirements and any sort of question like that, that everyone, all the groups that we've reached out to for any assistance have been most helpful. So, yeah, and that's been excellent. But, but just to clarify, you're all separate organisations, yeah, we're all separate organisations. So what one group does has nothing to do with what Voice of Kuyong does. Um, so where Voice of Kuyong, we're looking to endorse a candidate that we're not going to run their campaign, which is the case in other electorates. So every Voice of Group is a bit different in how they run and how they operate. And obviously that's up for each, up for each local community to decide how that works. my view, uh, Kuyong is the most interesting seat in the country. It has only had seven members since Federation, which I, uh, which I think is the record by a long way too. It has only elected one independent candidate. That was uh, Jack Latham in 1921. He later went on to lead the Nationalist Party, which essentially is, be, becomes the Liberal Party. Of the seven members it's had, it's had three party leaders two foreign ministers, two attorneys general, one prime minister, three leaders of the opposition, and one treasurer. Uh, one of the leaders, of course, went on to become chief justice of the high court. Now, it's a very safe liberal seat. When I say it's one of the most interesting seats in the country, I rarely look at how it's going on election day because 
I know generally the Liberal Party is going to win. <laughs> Do you think it's plausible that you could displace uh, Treasurer and Deputy Leader Josh Frydenberg? I do do believe it's possible with the right candidate. And what I mean by the right candidate is, as you've mentioned, um, previous representatives of Kuyong have been foreign ministers and attorney generals and, you know, Josh Frydenberg's the treasurer and the deputy leader and the heir apparent of the Liberal Party. So you can't just, you know, you need a really strong candidate to take on Josh Frydenberg, someone who's very accomplished in their respective profession, someone who's highly intelligent and well-educated. So you need that right candidate. You need someone of a really high caliber to take on Josh Frydenberg because you have to respect that Kuyong is a highly educated electorate. You have to respect that. Um, so you need to put up a candidate, you know, if they have a chance of winning that voters can respect and look at the candidate and say, yeah, they're, they're a professional, they're accomplished and I can trust them and I know that they'll be competent if elected. So in that regard, if we find someone like that, then, yeah, it's definitely possible. But Josh Frydenberg, in terms of Kuyong being, uh, whether it's a safe seat or not, Josh Frydenberg suffered about, you know, I think it was just over an 8% first preference swing against him at the last election. That's not the entire swing, just on first preferences. And that's made Kuyong a marginal seat. And the redistribution has narrowed down his margin, I think, to about 57 uh, So Kuyong, statistically, mathematically, is, you know, in play more than it ever has been, really. And there's never, in my view, been a greater opportunity than this coming election to get an independent elected in Kuyong. And the Climate 200 polling that they've commissioned in Kuyong shows it, has shown that an independent of the calibre was Zali Stegel who, or Helen Haynes, who are then um, high-calibre independent politicians, could get more first-preference votes than Josh Frydenberg, which would ultimately see the independent elected. And that, that's quite exciting. At the end of the day, people in Kuyong want climate action. They want integrity back in politics. And Josh Frydenberg isn't going to provide that. So I think it's indeed possible to see change there in Kuyong, and hopefully that does occur. It seems to me, and I look at Karen Phelps in Wentworth, although she only won the one, Zali Stegel in Warringah, and Helen Haynes, that there is a very strong chance that a good independent could take over. In that case, do you see this as a reset or do you see it as someone who you'd like to stay in the seat for a long time? I think someone we'd like to see stay in the seat for a long time, I hope, uh, if when we find that right candidate to endorse, if they win, that they'll stick around and be re-elected a few more times and actually serve the people of Kuyong for a great good length of time. And, uh, you know, if they're not prepared to do that, perhaps like we've seen in Indi, they could step aside and the community can then endorse. Having seen what Kathy McGowan did, you know, a different independent candidate in Helen Haynes like they have at Indi. So I think at the moment the Liberal Party isn't what it used to be. It's very far right at the moment and they've lost or disillusioned a lot of voters. So I think until they sort that out, Kuyong would be much better served with the independent candidate. This is probably unfair because it's speculating too far into the future. Would a independent candidate for Kuyong, if it came to that, which minority government would they support, do you think? I can't really say that because, answer that, because there's no candidate yet and we can't, I can't speak for that candidate but what we do know that is if it is a minority government, regardless of whether it's the Labor Party or the Liberal Party, that if the independents 
or a number of independents hold the balance of power, then we can get the action on climate change and force the action on an integrity commission, which is what voters in Kuyong want. So ultimately, regardless of whether it's a Liberal or Labour minority government, if election did result in that, independence and the balance of power would change Australia overnight, essentially, either way. How do you see Australia's future as it stands at the moment? From Voices of Kuyong's perspective, we'd love independence, as I just mentioned, to hold a balance of power in the House of Representatives after the upcoming 2022 election. Uh, and these independents would then be able to force the government, whether it's Labor or Liberal, as mentioned, into taking action on climate change. And then we could get a strong federal ICAC implemented as well. And at that point, you know, when you have a representative that's actually acting in the interests of the community and voting how the community wants them to vote, you have an opportunity then for the independent member to actually go back to the community and say, well, what do you want me to do on this policy area? What are your views on this and that? And actually then become a true representative for the community. And I think with more candidates, with more politicians like that, Australia would be a much better place. And of course, on climate in particular, we know net zero by 2050 is not good enough, which is what the Liberal Party is proposing and what where Labor is at at the moment. So this is a very important election in that regard to actually secure the future of the planet, you know, on climate change and by electing an independent to the seat of Kuyong. That was Hayden O'Connor from the Voices of Kuyong campaign in Melbourne, and he was speaking with David Lewis. They're hoping to unseat the current Treasurer of Australia and Liberal Party member for Kuyong, Josh Frydenberg, and you can follow the details of their campaign at voicesofkuyong.com. That's it for this new politics podcast. Thanks for listening in. If you'd like to support our style of journalism and commentary, please make a donation at our website at newpolitics.com.au. We don't beg, plead, beseech or gaslight you about journalism coming to an end. We just keep it very, very simple. If you like what we do, please send some support our way. It helps keep our commitment to independent journalism ticking along. I'm Eddie Djokovic. Thanks for listening in and it's goodbye to our listeners. I'm David Lewis. We'll see you next time.